I think what I've been lucky to be able to do and to explore is how to take those skills I learned in linguistics that help us really tune into and understand what people are saying and what's underneath what they're saying and apply that as a design researcher in idea.org and apply that to creating new solutions, whereas linguistics is a more academic pursuit, right? We're listening for the sake of understanding and in design, we're listening for the sake of being able to influence new outcomes. Hello. And welcome to Design Adjacent, the podcast that talks about the nexus of design, both today and tomorrow. I'm your host, Vinnie F. Johnson. And today our guest is none other than Shauna Carey. Shauna recently became the new chief executive officer of the legendary ideal.org. Yes, the nonprofit design organization that leverages deep expertise in both design and social impact. Shauna's role plays from her experience in previously serving as executive design director and chief communications officer. She's worked alongside design teams and communities to surface insights to unlock new possibilities, create narratives that inspire action, and share stories about the impact of design. She has also previously served as managing director and co-lead of the New York studio. Prior to joining IDEO.org, Shauna worked to expand access to quality education and healthcare. She's also helped launch and grow a number of mission-driven startups, both in Europe and the San Francisco Bay Area. A social scientist at heart, she holds a degree in linguistics from the University of California, Santa Cruz. And outside of work, she's happiest barefoot on the beach, somewhere or at home in Brooklyn. Shauna, welcome to our podcast. Thanks for having me. It's so nice to meet you. It's really great to have you join us. And first, let me say congratulations. Thank you so much. You newly elevated a CEO of ideal.org. What was the first thing that went through your mind when you received the call or text or email that said, Shauna, you're our next leader? Gratitude, probably, is the first thing that went through my mind. Being trusted to steward this organization and the people who work in it that I care so much about and to keep doing this work that I believe in feels like Such an incredible privilege, and I'm just really grateful to have a new chapter. Speaking of new chapter, I love this quote from your announcement. A co-design approach ensures people have authorship over the services, systems, and policies that directly impact them. This is what I believe IDL.org's next chapter is all about. Harnessing the power of design to create systemic change that is rooted in visions, that communities have for their own futures. For our audience who may be familiar with IDEAL as the consultancy, talk a bit about the formation and creation of IDEAL.org. IDEAL.org spun out from IDEO 11 years ago to exclusively work on social impact and social justice challenges. So we partner with nonprofits and governments and social enterprises to help them accelerate their mission, serve the populations that they serve in a better way. We're really focused on using design and harnessing the power of creativity to really foster systemic change alongside our partners. Over the last decade, there's been an incredibly bold amount of work and projects you've gone after. What was the first project that really scared you working at IDEA? What was the problem that was so wicked that you thought, this is insane for us to even try? Pretty much every project I've ever participated in has had a day when it scared me. And I think that's Uh, good, right? I think if we didn't feel a little scared, we're probably not aiming high enough. The first project I ever did at audio.org was focused on increasing 
the incidence of reporting of sexual violence. So okay. supporting largely women and children to have access to counseling and legal support and supportive housing. Um, and our partner provided all those services, but they can't help anyone who doesn't report in the first place. And so right, it was really right. about ensuring people knew about the services that were available to them and helping folks take that first step. Like so many of the other issues that we work on at Adi.org, that's really a problem that is about trust right. and creating a sense of safety for people. And so I think it's scary anytime you're trying to design and you have to change the dynamics, the social dynamics, team a group of people. Right. So designing for trust, designing for agency, designing for safety, like those are sensitive topics, but they're also right. um, not easy ones. And so I think... I was new to design in that project, but also right. I was really cognizant of how consequential that work right. was going to be for the people that it was aiming to serve. And so when we do design work in service of social justice, we have to carry with us enough levity to be creative, but also be grounded in that these are the problems that shape people's lives and we have to take them really seriously. Right. Finding that balance was something that, you know, I always have questions about, but it's something that from day one has felt like a really important challenge intentional. One of the things that I also noticed is how you've intentionally built your studios around the globe. Is it often that you see a lot of synergy across these studio spaces with the work you have in Nairobi and in New York in particular? I think the interesting thing about having studios in the U.S. and in Kenya is that there are ways in which we can really learn from each other and share. And there's a lot of overlap. So for example, reproductive health care is an area we work a lot in. We work right. in Dallas on reproductive health care and expanding access to clinics and services. And we work in Uganda on that same issue. And so I think having teams who are working on some of the same challenges in such different contexts allows us to see patterns we might not otherwise see, allows us to learn from each other. But when it really gets down to it, a challenge like ensuring someone has access to good reproductive health care is about the same dynamics, no matter where you're working, right. right? It's about good providers, good availability of care, having a safe and supportive environment to ask questions, about having clear information that resonates with your context and the way that you think about planning your life. And so in many ways, there are similarities across those studios. And then I think in other ways, we're able to draw upon and inspire each other through the ways our different cultures and different lived experiences show up in the design work. Right. And that's been really interesting is the, the contrast between those two things. One of the things that you outline really in the success is looking at ideal.org. You talk about finding inroads to wicked problems, which we've mentioned, but you also talk a bit about what it takes to really scale design solutions. It seems like you're hinting at that even with this conversation about the reproductive health challenges. What have you seen that it takes to find the inroad to the wicked problem design a solution, but then deploy it at scale? What are some of the learnings or things that you've come up with? Our process is really anchored in understanding that finding out what the right thing is right. and finding out how to get that right thing in front of the most people are actually two separate design processes, right? right. And right. so often figuring out how to solve someone's challenge or how to what the right new service or product or experience is is really about testing lots of different things. It's about prototyping lots of potential options. It's also about ensuring that the folks who are most impacted by the outcome of that design process have a seat at the table, not just at the beginning, but throughout and have the real power yeah. to define what the outcome of that project will look like and to give feedback and to have influence. And so really understanding that like the output of a process like that is often a pilot. It's a first step. 
It's about getting enough of a solution in place that you can start to measure what works and understand why, and also start to understand what are the critical components of that solution that would need to exist in any context. And so that first design process is really about asking, what do we need? And then to scale a solution is a whole second effort, which is to ask, how do we get it to all the places it needs to be? And so an example I might give you is, so we worked in Ethiopia in the public health system there on designing a new reproductive health service that engages couples in counseling, basically life planning counseling that also includes a module on family planning. And so it really helped couples overcome maybe the taboo of the topic of family planning and have a conversation about how many children they want to have and when, and also enables women in the context of that environment to access the healthcare that they need. Figuring out what that solution was, that we needed to be counseling-based, that it should engage young couples, figuring out what the right tools and information are that were going to be contextually relevant. That's one design process that we did in concert with our partners at PSI, uh, with behavioral scientists, with cadre of young Ethiopian co-designers who worked alongside our team. And that got us to a really strong pilot where we could see up to 75% of girls adopting a new contraceptive service coming out of those sessions. But then that success meant that the Ethiopian government wanted to scale it into the system nationally and figuring out how do we make this thing that works in one place that we have a lot of control over the variables of, how do we make it work in a distributed national healthcare system? That's a whole design exercise in itself where we need organizational designers and systems designers and business designers to help us extract what's working well about the first pilot version and how do we create a version of it that's more modular and able to be rolled out at scale without losing the pieces that make it so effective. Often when we take something that's worked well in one context and we scale it, we don't take the time to really treat that as a design exercise and understand right. what those more critical components are. And so what made the system work in one place gets watered down in the scaling process. And so by really treating them as a separate design exercise, we're able to isolate and invest in and support the pieces that are going to create the most important outcomes in the long run. What struck me is interesting. It's how you describe these as two separate design exercises. So if we follow that, that troop for a minute. Do you have two separate teams? How do you determine what design talent you need in the mix for the problem? We don't necessarily have two distinct teams that think about design and scaling, but we have a lot of different skill sets that are not in different moments of the process, right? In particular, we think about a phase that is about optimizing and scaling an intervention and making it accessible to more people. I'm looking for people who can help us understand what's working. So that might be an impact evaluator. It might be a design researcher. I'm looking for someone who can help us design within the constraints of whatever the system we're trying to scale within are. So that might be a business designer or an organizational designer who can design the right incentives, training tools, business models that are going to underpin and support the long-term success and sustainability. And those are skills that are also really important in the first design. We're designing a pilot. Right. But they are maybe utilized in a slightly different way and they have a different mandate, right? Which is to focus on that aspect of scale and to focus on scale with quality, which is not the same thing as just scaling, right? We can often hit many numbers, but the outcomes are the most important part when you're working in social impact. Right. So I have this question and it's going to be a play on the words because you're so fluent in design. What brought you to design from linguistics? That's a good question and not a straight path. And no requirement that it had to be. I'm just sure that our listeners may be curious that you may be our first guest who majored in linguistics. (laughs) What a great distinction to hold. You know, what drew me to study linguistics was I have always been fascinated by how we communicate as people and what that says about us, what that says about what we value, who we are, 
the families and communities we grew up in. And so those same things led me to design ultimately, but through a rather circuitous path. When I graduated from college, I decided to focus on social impact and social justice work. So I worked in community health organizations, I worked in education, and I was really drawn to figuring out how we make these systems work better for people. Right. And design came into my world sort of by happenstance. I learned about ID.org's work while I was working in some of these organizations that are much like the partner organizations we work with now. And this idea of human-centered design and starting from a place of deep listening and also testing and prototyping many solutions, it's like creative energy felt really compelling as an answer to some of the challenges I was seeing in, in the organizations okay. and the spaces I was working in. No one is more surprised than I that I ended up in a design firm for the last nine years. But I think what I've been lucky to be able to do and to explore is how to take those skills I learned in linguistics that help us really tune into and understand what people are saying and what's underneath what they're saying and apply that as a design researcher in idea.org and apply that to creating new solutions where as linguistics is a more academic pursuit, right? We're listening for the sake of understanding and in design, we're listening for the sake of being able to influence new outcomes. So that's how I ended up here. But it's definitely been an incredible and sometimes really humbling process over the last nine years to figure out how to apply my skills best in service right. of the goals we have as a design organization. It's so wonderful to hear that journey. And it speaks to what we've been sharing about this nexus of design today and tomorrow for design adjacent. It's mm. truly kind of a design adjacent path where you're taking those skills and just naturally leading into the space. Following this idea of journey, how do problem-laden organizations, and I say it like that on purpose, organizations that are bringing to the table these wicked problems, how do they find you as IDL.org? How would an organization find its way into a partnership with you? There are probably as many routes into partnership with us as there are organizations we've worked with. Okay. All right. I would maybe classify them as aspiration-laden organizations. So we okay. tend to work with partners who see a future that they want to build towards and want some support getting there and taking steps towards it. And so organizations sometimes come to us with a challenge, like they have a program or part of their work that isn't operating as effectively as they'd like it to. Other times, organizations come to us with a big, bold idea, something they've never seen before that they want to try out, and they're looking for someone to take that leap with them okay. and make their idea tangible and real and something that exists in the world. Often, we work with organizations over and over again. So we have certain partners like Alight, formerly the American Refugee Committee, or right. like the Robert Wood Johnson Foundation, folks that we've worked with a number of times and who have shared goals. You know, our mission is to design a more just and equitable world and organizations that share that vision, we tend to partner with over and over again because there are so many things that need to happen to realize that vision. And so we're always looking for partners who are aligned to that and, and ready to try some new things to get there. Do you have moments when you're working with a partner and they come to you with, with a problem with a small P? and you're able to elevate and show them that there's a solution to a bigger problem with a bigger P that they can go after, where you're able to elevate even their thoughts of what impact could be. So we adopt a really co-design centric approach to the way that we work. Right. When our partners come to us, they often have an outcome goal in mind, but how we get there is really open. Okay. And so we bring together coalitions of people from communities, from implementing organizations who sort of live with that challenge every day and are most proximate to it and okay. have the highest stakes in the outcome of that work. Right. And together try and really define what's going on here. What is the problem? Let's look at this challenge from multiple angles and define together a shared blueprint for success and what that looks like. Often that process of seeing the problem from so many different angles and of inviting 
so many different kinds of people into the process and kinds of stakeholders, that often changes and reframes the way our partners are thinking. Talk a little bit a lot about that. You know, we've had conversations about teamwork, about collaboration, but we've never really had a chance to dig into this concept of coalition building, mm. which are expanding the voices that, and perspectives at the table in a really intentional way. So kind of talk about some of those powers that you see when you start to really dig into coalition. We are really focused on trying to create systemic and enduring change. I guess is where I would start that. And that's about not just mitigating or addressing the symptoms of a problem, but actually trying to influence the conditions that create that problem in the first right, place. Right, right. And in order to do that, we have to attack a problem from multiple different leverage points. So both address and create better products and systems and services and institutions that people interact with every day, but also to influence the norms and beliefs that underpin all those things mm -hmm. over time. It's a long game. Right. And it pretty much always means working with many different actors, some of whom don't see eye to eye. Right? right. And so if we believe that's what success looks like and that we believe that's the way we're going to get to that enduring change that we crave, we have to be able to collaborate with a really diverse coalition of people who have influence over different levers in that system, who have a different vantage point on right. that system, who bring different skills to the table. So that means we're going to have to collaborate in a pretty radical way. In the same way that like in many creative institutions for a long time, we've had to create agreements and clear roles and expectations around what collaboration will look like to enable it to thrive. We're having to do that at a much wider scale. We take on these big system challenges, right? We're having to create those clear roles and agreements and clarity and right. and shared vision among a much wider set of people. And the power of that coalition building and of working together, even though it might feel cumbersome in moments, is I think that you end up with a blueprint for change that is so much stronger and imbued with the hopes and aspirations and the wisdom of such a wider set of people than right. might previously have been involved in the design process. Right. It's really inspiring to hear you talk about the work that you're doing, the trials, tribulations, challenges, but more importantly, the rewards and impact. For many of our listeners, especially those who are starting their careers, there's an interest in this nexus of design and social impact. What advice would you have for our listeners who are starting to explore new careers and new models for careers about how they can connect design and social impact? I think the most important advice I would have is to focus on outcomes if you're trying to design for social impact. And so right. I think in design and in design education, as I understand it, having not gone to design school myself, I think we can focus a lot on the what. What are we creating? What are we making? What is it? What does it do? And I think in social impact or social justice work, it's incumbent upon us to focus on the outcomes and, and the impact that those things can have in the world and really anchor to those. And so I think that's a practice that not all designers are taught. I think it's a practice that not all design firms focus on. But if we're going to focus on issues like health and education and livelihoods, things that have such a meaningful impact on people's real lives, we have to hold ourselves accountable as designers to something, a much higher bar than novel solutions. We have to create things that actually shift right. people's lives. That's one piece of advice I would give is really to practice that orientation, which I think it is a practice. Um, when you're creating right. things and and to make sure that your ideas and the things you're designing are actually laddering up to meaningful change and to be self-aware about when they have it. You know, we all have had moments where we miss the mark, but it's important to be critical and to learn from those moments and not just trying to brush them under the rug. And we try to do that as an organization at idea.org. It's something I try to do in my own personal practice. 
I think that the other advice I might give to folks who are starting out and interested in starting their career in design and focused on social impact is to not worry about the career you want to have 15 years from now, (laughs) is to really just focus on what is the interesting problem or challenge you see in the world that you are passionate about, that you feel like you have something to offer mm-hmm. to it. Right. Find people who, who understand that challenge, who are addressing it in a way that aligns with your values and ask how you can be of service. To me, design is most powerful when it's an active service. It's using our creative right. tools and skills and saying, what can we offer the folks who are trying to solve this problem? What can we bring to the table? And for me, design's role in these sorts of challenges is really twofold. It's to help align often a really diverse and broad coalition of stakeholders and use our creative process to help create a shared vision for change that we can all operate from and and move towards. And I think it's using our creative skills and abilities to help take the first steps towards that future, to make ideas real in the world, to build evidence that that change is not only possible, it's inevitable. We're going to get there and to build momentum that only comes from actually testing and trying things out in the world. And so I think, yeah, find people and organizations who are doing amazing work and ask how you can use your creative skills to help them. When you're looking to build the team, where do you look to find talent? I am always looking for people who could help ID.org achieve our mission. So we are often we're, we're bringing in folks to our team who are coming from different backgrounds in design. So whether that's folks who are incredible communication designers who bring a really unique lens to the way they think about visual communication or business designers who can really take the institutions we're working with and help them figure out and understand how to implement the things we're suggesting, even when it feels aspirational and hard. In other cases, we're looking for folks who have real expertise and lived experience addressing the issues that we're focused on, right? So we have folks on our team who are really specialized around healthcare, around education, around financial services, And we're also looking for people who possess a core set of collaboration skills, which includes enthusiasm and imagination. It includes the self-awareness to be able to know your own blind spots and work in collaboration with others who possess different skills and expertise. So those people can come from anywhere. And we always have an eye open. I asked the question, looking at the team, it's immediately apparent how diverse and dynamic the group is that you put together for each of your projects. So as you nestle into the helm of being the CEO of IDL.org, you talked a bit about the next chapter, but I'm going to ask more directly, what's next for IDL.org? What's the next step in your evolution in making an impact on the world? The work I'm most excited about right now, and probably honestly, the work I've always been most excited about at IDL.org, is when we're able to create new solutions and services that address really pressing and urgent needs today, but that... also start to influence sometimes subtly and sometimes subversively the underlying dynamics that create those challenges we're trying to tackle in the first place. And so whether that's working in mental health and creating interventions that address the underlying stigma that still remains in so many communities around accessing mental health support, or whether that's working on digital financial services in East Africa that paved the way for women to have more agency and how in earning and spending money in their household, or whether that's you know working in reproductive healthcare and creating interventions that actually put more power in the hands of the people seeking care. That's what I'm really excited about. I think design at its best is both re-engineering the systems around us to make them work better for people, but also bringing that like artistry to right. 
helping people feel differently and see themselves differently and see each other differently. And so the more of that we can do, the better. Designing for transformation, designing for equity, designing for resilience, and designing for transformation. Those are words that repeat on IDL's website and really are at the heart of the work that Shauna is doing in IDL.org. I can't think of a better way to close out our conversation with your thoughts in the future, Shauna. So thank you for joining us. Thanks so much for having me. It was so nice to meet you. And thank you all for joining in. This has been an incredible episode of Design Adjacent, the podcast where we look at design's impact, both here and abroad, both today and tomorrow. Thank you for joining us with our guest, Shauna Carey, CEO of IDL.org. If you want to find out more information about their work, please visit them at IDL.org. Thank you. Show notes for this episode will be available on AIGA.org. Please subscribe to our show on Anchor, Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. AIGA's Design Adjacent Podcasts and its contents are the copyright of AIGA, the Professional Association for Design. All rights reserved. Any redistribution or reproduction of part or all of the content in any form is prohibited without AIGA's express written permission. My name is Li Shan Huang. Until next time.